Hey there, it's Gotham. Look, before we get started, just a note that this episode will get into some serious topics, including suicide. Okay, here's the show. When Tony Gonzalez first retired from football, everything seemed to be going great. After a long career as one of the NFL's best ever tight ends, he landed a gig as an analyst on the CBS Sunday morning pregame show. I had worked at broadcasting main desk, which is what everybody wants. If you're going to do the business, you want to be on a main desk. And I was doing it for three years. My contract was up and they were like, okay, Tone, we're going to, we love what you've done. Let's, let's redo a deal. But then he started to have some doubts. He and his wife were out to lunch talking about the potential new contract. We're sitting there at a cafe and she's asking me, you know, so how's the contract negotiation going? And all of a sudden I had this like chill come over me and I started like kind of shaking a little bit and I started crying. And she's like, what's wrong? And I go, I'm just, I'm scared. I'm scared shitless right now. And she goes, why? And I go, because I'm looking back and although these three years have been great, it hasn't touched what I did for a living playing pro football. And it dawned on me that I had peaked and that was the best it was ever gonna be was playing football. And I could never achieve that again. I'm going to go the rest of my life knowing that I got 40 more years to live as far as I'm concerned. And, and the best is over. There's an old saying that pro athletes die twice. First, when their career ends. Second, of course, when they die. I mean, think about that. The transition from sports to regular life is so extreme that it feels as terrifying as dying. And what's especially scary about death, I think, is that you're facing the unknown. I've talked to Tom Brady about this before. That is about the next step in his career, his life. Obviously, Tom's figured out the formula to keep playing football for the, I don't know, at least the foreseeable future. In some ways, you can look at his time in Tampa as kind of a second life. But even Tom, the guy who's probably going to be still playing until 2045 or something, even he refers to whatever comes after his NFL career as the void on the other side. Scary. I'm Gotham Chopra from Religion of Sports and ESPN+. This is Man in the Arena, a 10-part companion podcast to the docuseries of the same name. Here, we're looking at Tom Brady through the eyes of players and coaches, fans and haters, people whose dreams he's either ruined or made come true, including me. This episode, the last of our series, post-game. What do you do when you no longer have the very thing that has given your life order and purpose? We'll look for answers from athletes, as well as from another group that may surprise you. And we'll hear from someone who has interviewed hundreds of Americans about their own moments of doubt and pain. That's all to answer the big question, how do we face the void on the other side? That's coming up.
from my early 20s till my you know mid 30s i identified so much with the uniform and then all of a sudden i'm like trying to figure out who who is nate boyer you know who, who what am i supposed to do next that's nate boyer as you heard and the uniform he's talking about well it's actually two sets of uniforms one blue and green the other camouflage See, Boyer is a former Seattle Seahawk, and he's also a former Green Beret. The armed forces and then football, those had been his identity. And when he left those two groups, he didn't know what to do. Much like Tony Gonzalez, Boyer had a hard time with that uncertainty. I loved you know, fighting for my country. I loved going I loved going to combat uh, and I loved football. So like that was a little daunting and kind of, you know, freaks you out a little bit. Cause I mean, I think all of us at some, uh, <laughs> at some level fear death, even those that, you know, served at the highest level in the military. And like, you start to think about uh, the end and like, you feel like you've peaked already and now it's just the rest of your life ahead of you. And you don't really know what that looks like. After being cut from the Seahawks, Boyer had moved back to Los Angeles, where he reconnected with Jay Glazer, the Fox NFL insider. The two men were friends from back when Boyer was training for the NFL at Glazer's gym, a place called Unbreakable Performance Center in L.A. Boyer and Glazer started talking about all the overlap between the experiences of veterans and retired pro athletes. So they decided to start an organization called MVP. What it stands for, first of all, is merging vets and players. And it was this idea of bringing together former professional athletes and combat vets and uh, giving them an opportunity uh, to feel that, that same sense of pride they had when they wore the uniform. Of course, only one of these groups actually goes to war. But we use a lot of military metaphors when we talk about NFL players. We call them warriors and say that they'll do shit like go to battle on the gridiron. But the connection goes beyond that. Both groups wear uniforms. Both have highly regimented schedules. Both are team-oriented. Both are physically and mentally demanding. Both participate in some sort of sanctioned violence. But despite the similarities, Boyer knew that when he started MVP, even though he was doing it out of respect, it was probably going to rub some people the wrong way. I knew even with my time in, in the military that I was still going to catch flack for this, you know, from certain people, because there are certain people that, um, and that's totally fine, but they don't want to ever compare, you know, anything militaristic to the rest of the world. So I'm like, look, at the end of the day, first and foremost, we are all human beings. You know, we all have struggles. We all have triumphs. And you don't have to serve your country to be a great human being. At first, Boyer and Glazer weren't exactly sure how the two groups would work together. But in the early days of MVP, Boyer had what turned out to be a pivotal encounter with a guy named Denver Morris. Morris was a former Marine. He'd done tours in both Iraq and Afghanistan. But back in 2015, he was out of the military, living in transitional housing for veterans in Hollywood. The guys who lived there called it the barracks. And two months earlier, he'd attempted suicide. 
he was just hoping to turn his life around and figure out what was next. I wanted that new beginning. I kind of was in that transitional house to get something better. That's Morris. One day, Morris was coming back from getting out for some serious exercise. We went on a 14-mile hike. I'll never forget it. It was the longest hike I've ever been on. And uh, I <laughs> came back to the house. That's when Morris saw something that pissed him off. Or someone. It was a man accompanied by a camera guy walking towards him. I didn't know who he was, but he was just taking pictures and kind of just looked at him and I said, you need to get the hell out of my house. I'm not a charity case. Get the fuck out of here right now. And he looked at me and he just said, I like you. I'll be talking to you soon. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? I don't like you. Get the hell out of here. Basically, for Morris, it was hate at first sight. And he saw me and the camera and he was just like, who is this asshole? That guy? It was Nate Boyer being profiled for a magazine. Boyer came away feeling kind of guilty. It was like kind of upsetting. I felt gross for myself. I'm like, oh, he saw me as like somebody, you know, exploiting his uh, situation or something. You know what I mean? And that was not what I was trying to do. But then he got an email. He goes, hey, my name's Denver. I'm that guy that was kind of upset with you yesterday at the barracks. I didn't know who you were. I didn't know what was going on. I was having a bad day. And uh, I went back and like read your story. And I'd love to sit down with you and, you know, just grab lunch or something, man, and just pick your brain. Over tacos, the two men connected. Boyer explained more about MVP. And Morris liked the idea. So Morris brought some of his veteran friends up to Jay Glazer's gym. I had a key to the gym. We came up on a Sunday. It was like me and Denver and then four of his friends. And we just like worked out. That's sort of how MVP started. And I was really, really from Denver. After they worked out, they just talked. And that's the basic formula that MVP still follows today. Workouts followed by sharing sessions. At first, it was mostly veterans. But before long, athletes started to join the group. Thanks in part to Jay Glazer. And then Jay said, why don't we bring them all up, you know, on Thursday afternoon and call some athletes, try to get some athletes in here, and we'll all sit down and, and uh, we'll work out. Denver Morris, though, he was still a little skeptical about just what pro athletes could teach vets. Until I actually sat down with the athletes and actually understood that, hey, I lost my identity afterwards. And it was just like, how? Come on, man. Like, you're rich. You got money. Come on, dude. No, actually, that money is not buying me happiness. The more Morris listened, the more he saw that there really were shared experiences between the two groups. They're working 24-7. We're working 24-7. Guess what we want to do on the weekends? We want to party. What do they want to do? They want to party. They want a little stress reliever as well. For Morris... One of the early defining moments of MVP was when Tony Gonzalez came in. On the mat, after workout, Gonzalez talked about retiring from the NFL and his identity crisis after his football career was over. What he said just blew everybody away. It was like, oh my gosh, I've felt that way too. I've gone through that too. And the room was dead silent. And just, whoa, did he just really share that? 
guys were real emotional about it. It made, it made me emotional, you know, that, and, uh, and I wasn't expecting that. That's Tony Gonzalez again. I, I didn't realize that story would, would touch them so much. But looking back now, I say, yeah. It's just, and, and I'm sure they got the same story. Here's Nate Boyer again. It was not only good for him, but it was very comforting for everybody else listening to know, like, even no matter who you are, you know, even the most achieved people, um, they, they go through stuff. And we all struggle from time to time. We all have our shit. You know what I mean? But what if these transitions aren't something we ever fully get through? What if they were actually just part of life? A feature, not a bug. My data show that we go through three dozen life disruptors in the course of our adult lives. So that's one every 12 to 18 months. That's more often than most people see a dentist. That's coming up after the break. Plus, what Tom Brady can teach us about facing change. Okay, welcome back. You know, taking off the uniform and helmet for the last time, whether it's for national defense or for the National Football League, it's a big change. We've been hearing about how difficult that can be to deal with. But it isn't only veterans and ex-pro athletes who experience this kind of life upheaval. Actually, maybe most of us do. That's what happened to Bruce Feiler. He was a successful author, married with a family. I mean, it felt like he had it all figured out. But then? I got cancer as an adult and as the father of three-year-old identical twin daughters. Then I almost went bankrupt in the last recession. And then my father, who had Parkinson's, got very depressed and tried to take his own life six times in 12 weeks. So it just felt like life was coming at me in all directions. When Filer told people this story, he kept hearing that others had felt the same way. What I discovered was that everybody has times when they feel like life is, is beating them up. And so I wanted to do something to help. So Filer set off to do some research, interviewing hundreds of people in all 50 states about how they'd faced upheaval. So people who lost limbs and lost homes, changed careers and changed religions, got sober and got out of bad marriages. The result was a book, Life is in the Transitions. One of the first things that became clear was that what Filer calls the linear life doesn't exist anymore. That's the notion that we'll have one job, one home, one spirituality, and one source of happiness our whole lives. That's gone. That was dead, and we now live these nonlinear lives that involve more life transitions. And one of his biggest surprises was that we go through a lot of these transitions. My data show that we go through three dozen life disruptors in the course of our adult lives. So that's one every 12 to 18 months. And these could be as small as a fender bender or as large as losing a loved one. And most of these we get through relatively easily. But one in 10 of these becomes what I call a life quake, right? Which is a massive period of change. And we go through one of these three to five times in our lives. 
and the average length is five years. So if you do the math, three to five in a lifetime, four, five, six years, that's 25 years. That means half of our adult lives we spend in this state of kind of in-between, as I call it. In other words, Filer's saying, life is change. So if we spend so much time in this place, why does it feel so hard? Why does it feel like, as Tom says, staring into a void? Filer says part of it is because it makes us uncertain of who we are. It takes the normal way we think about ourselves, okay? I'm a person who's married. Well, suddenly I'm a person who's not married. Right? I'm a person who has this job. Well, suddenly I'm a person who doesn't have this job. Or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a, a person who has a parent. Now suddenly I don't have a parent, and therefore all the ways I think of myself have to be recalibrated. These big transitions, these life quakes, as Filer likes to call them, one way to get through them is storytelling. There's some massive plot twist in the middle of your life story. And so, the, in effect, the only way to adjust that is to add a new chapter in your life story that accommodates the change. Okay, I'm a person who went through cancer. Okay, now I have a different body and I have to work on my body or work on, in my case, my leg where my cancer was. They're also an opportunity to evaluate or reevaluate how you find meaning in your life. If you lose your job or quit your job, you know, maybe it's a chance to start to focus more on your family instead of your career. So one of the things that Tom's told me is that when he gets up in the morning, he needs to have a purpose. And for now, that purpose is football. Nate Boyer, who started MVP, sees a lot of vets and former players searching for that purpose after they leave their careers. But he says the answer isn't always in a new job. We got to all find what that thing is. And it, and it means a lot. A purpose doesn't necessarily mean a new career. You know what I mean? Um, it's just feeling like you belong, you know, and you have a place in this world and like you're supposed to be here, <laughs> you know, and you're supposed to be alive. Tony Gonzalez, the Hall of Fame tight end, he feels the same way. Dude, it's not just career you know it's your family it's 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 the people you love one it's the relationships in your life in fact that's that's where the happiness is that's that it's all about the relationships and you can have all that money you can have all the fame you can have all that but people are still not happy because like they're digging in the wrong place it's like figure out what the true source of happiness is you want to be fulfilled you want to you want to have joy you want to have excitement uh which means going through your fear but these changes are scary. But you know what? Maybe they shouldn't be. Or maybe we should embrace that. Even the premise of this conversation in some way is that, oh, oh, Tom Brady is going to come to the end of the career. The body's going to give out or he's going to have an injury or he's going to finally walk away and his life is going to be over and it's going to be difficult. Well, yes, it's going to be difficult, but his life is not going to be over. So we need to think of these life transitions not as periods that we're going to suffer through, but as difficult periods where great possibilities can come. In other words, we're not like a tree bending in the wind and snapping back into place as life comes at us. 
We are the wind. The word resilience, I can't stand it because resilience comes from a spring and it implies that you stretch out and you bounce back. Well, some people bounce back, but many more people do what Tom Brady's about to do, which is to bounce forward or sideways or to a different place together. So we have to look at this as not a miserable period, but as fundamentally a period of opportunity. And you know what? In his next great act as a public figure, Tom Brady can teach us that. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last few weeks, then you know by now that my shtick is extracting wisdom from the world of sports, specifically Tom Brady in this case, and figuring out how to apply it to life outside of sports. To me, I like to study Tom and his crazy career in New England and now in Tampa, not because I'm trying to live vicariously through his achievements, you know, the Super Bowl victories, MVPs, and all the rest, but because I find a lot of lessons about accountability, resilience, doing the work, ignoring the noise, defying the haters, playing with joy, etc. Look, I'm biased here. I've been a fan of Tom's, then became a collaborator of his, and now we've become friends. When we get together to, quote, work, we actually primarily end up talking about our 14-year-old sons. His Jack, mine Chris Hugh. They're both 8th graders, by the way, and right at that transition point from little boys to young men. So there's a lot to talk about. But anyway, as close as I've come to Tom, and there's a lot to learn from him, oddly there's even more to be learned from the idea of Tom. I mean, feels weird to say that out loud about an actual human being, let alone a friend, but it's true. Tom's like this looking glass through which I think we can learn a lot about ourselves. You know what, maybe to make it land, I'm gonna jump the track and use a different example if I can to end this podcast. And my producers are gonna go crazy, but bear with me. Before I worked with Tom, I worked with another legendary athlete, Kobe Bryant. And I have this one anecdote from him. It's like 2013 and I'm watching a basketball game with Kobe and there's a guy, I'm not gonna name names, who shoots 0 for 9 from the field in the first half. He goes scoreless. And then at the end of the game, his stat line is still 0 for 9, and he's scoreless. Dude didn't take a single shot in the second half. I say that to Kobe, something like, man, I can't believe that guy didn't even get a shot up in the second half. And Kobe responds, yeah, bro. I'd be like... 0 for 49 before I stopped shooting. So I push him a little more and he's like, listen, my psychology is that the next one is the one. Like I might miss the first 47, but I'll hit the next one. And if I miss that one, then I'll shoot the next one because maybe that's the one that's the game winner. I mean, you can't quit on yourself. Shooters gotta shoot, you know? You've heard that expression before, but that's Kobe's definition of it. So I think of this story a lot these days amidst the pandemic. We're two years in now. I don't need to remind you. And just when you think we're about to turn a corner, guess what? Here comes another variant. 
Delta, Omicron, Fluorona I heard about the other day. And I know I felt on many days like saying, I quit. Wake me up when this shit is over. And then I think, what would Kobe do? He'd wake up and get to work. Grind. He loved to say that. Grind, grind, grind. Take another shot. Why? Because maybe today is the day it all turns around. Maybe today is the day I hit the shot. And if not today, guess what? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe that's the game winner. That was Kobe. It's also Tom. But really, it's sports. You don't have to believe in it. You just got to follow it. Be present. And the lessons are all there. On the field. On the court. In the arena. Men in the Arena is a religion of sports production in partnership with ESPN+. I'm Gotham Chopra, the host and creator. Our senior producers are Isaac Kestenbaum and Josephine Holtzman of Future Projects. Our story editor is Michael Garofalo. Executive producers are Amit Sunkran and Adam Schlossman. Associate producers Devin Manzi, Iggy Monda, and Megan Coyle. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. This episode was mixed by Merritt Jacob and for ESPN Plus, Brian Lockhart, Senior Vice President, Original Content and ESPN Films, Lindsay Ravenio, Executive Producer, ESPN Plus Originals, Tori Champagne, Producer, ESPN Plus Originals, Julia Lowry-Henderson, Senior Editorial Producer, Riley Bloom, Production Assistant. Lastly, special thanks to Jessica Popovac, Steve Nelson, Carly Peruccio, Composer Michael Kramer, PRX, and Row Home Productions. 